Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM, and uh, today we're talking to Rob Cowan, writer of Common Ground, and also a brand new collection of poetry um, called The Heeding. And uh, hello, Rob. Hi. How you doing, Peter? It's great to have you here on on Love the Words, and really excited to be talking about The Heeding, which I uh, yeah, which I, I read in in one sitting. It was it, I found it. I mean, you, you perhaps you know, poetry is not the kind of thing that you would say one one would be gripped by. But I, I, I there was such a, 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 a strong thread and force driving through it that uh, that's what I find myself doing. Did you did you uh, uh, intend it to be read in that way, or or did you intend anything? Um, I don't know really. Uh, I, you're not the first person to say that. Um, they read it in one sitting, and they've come back and reread it numerous times again. They, I guess in the design of it as a book, um, I did have this idea that you know it, it it consciously is a piece of work, you know, from start to finish. It has this whole feel about it from everything from the cover all the way through. I mean, it begins, as you know, with this metaphor of a hawk um, appearing suddenly which is a kind of metaphor for nature and the virus itself. Um, and then it sort of runs through and it ends with that motif of the hawk leaving and disappearing. Um, so it, it, it kind of suits that style of narrative, I think. It's that, that, that sort of style of approach where you might sit down, begin it and follow it through. And because it's a book of 35 poems and illustrations, obviously it's... Um, it's it's a little easier to read than than you know a two hundred thousand word nonfiction book. So, mm. yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess I intended it, but the funny thing is, Peter, I didn't really intend to write this book at all. So um, it's very hard to talk about intention, to be honest. Well, tell tell us about the story. I mean, I should also say that it it is illustrated by Nick Hayes. Um, who obviously the, the writer and illustrator of the Book of Trespass, which is a, a wonderful book. But yeah, the, it, it is a book that looks absolutely beautiful, uh, as well as as reading powerfully. So, so Rob, um, it's obviously a, a, a book of our time and of the last year. Tell us the story of how it came about. Um, well, it was, yeah, it was. It's interesting. There's, it's 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 really a book. That, that tries to question and interrogate that, that phrase, you know, our connection to nature. Um, it sort of asks, what does that mean? Um, you know, it means understanding nature as something that we affect and that affects us profoundly. And that's something that we've seen in this last year in a way that we haven't for generations. Um, and this duality of nature is something that sustains us and that we require 
but also destroys us. Um, so it's something that can be sublimely beautiful, but utterly brutal at the same time. So it's about, in one hand, it's about coming to terms with that as something that suddenly appears in our life. I mean, you know, we've all known about the effect we're having on nature um, for for years, and you know, arguably, we're not doing very much about it, but when nature suddenly affects us in the way that it has and it changes our rhythms and patterns, what does that do to us? What does that make us feel? What does it tell us about the world we live in and where we're going? And, you know, it's also therefore a book about disillusionment with power, with the, especially the powers that control our world and the fate of the world that they seem to be so keen to tip towards destruction. Um, and as you said, you know, the reason Nick and I worked on this together is because we have a lot of shared care about those things, the control of land and landscape and the institutions that limit access to nature. So all of these things were kind of tied up in this. And I guess last year, all these issues, as with everything, became intensified. And we saw all this moment of, you know, what people called at the time nature's revival, stepping into the space where the human had left in our absence. But also we saw this kind of resistance to to power and things like the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, where people were coming up and questioning. And I think, you know, honestly, uh, you know, it, it also is a book, I hope, about this yearning that refuses to give up of hope, revival, resurgence and faith you know, whether that is the Black Lives Matter movement or, or Starling murmurations or, uh, you know, the witnessed unity of people working in an allotment, something simple as that. I think it's all in there. You know, that's the thing. I think it's all in these words, the fear, the rage, the pain and the moments of transcendental, transcendental wonder. Those kind of all that multitude is in there, I hope anyway. Well, it certainly is for me. Uh, um, I, I mean, Common Ground was an extraordinary book and I think you know that the way that you shifted the point of view between yourself and merged that with your we had your personal history of what was going on for you at the time but also you inhabited the the the, the eyes the the head of various other characters including a fox and a first world war soldier but this this feels much more personal it's all the poems seem to be you and it are very much populated by people in your world and also animals but you know particularly people close to you like your partner your your children your your, your mother I mean and and it's 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 all the more all the all the stronger for that it does did it did it start out with um the idea of a, a concept to write this or did, did you just write a poem and think oh, here's another one and it, it, and it and it's beginning to grow mm. no it's, an, it's a really interesting question because you know, after Common Ground, um, I really struggled with writing about nature after Common Ground. I mean, I really put everything that I had into that book. And, you know, I'm not sure I'll ever write another nature book like that, quite honestly. Um, because, you know, what's expected of inverted commas nature writing now... Um, you know, is is uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I can I can do that. <laughs> you know, nature writing has become something that is, in my mind, is is 
it's becoming smooth with use, you know, it's, it's not taking risks or going new places and it's not listening to diverse voices and all these other things. Um, and what I very much tried to do with Common Ground was make it, um, you know, as you say, risky and, and somehow embody the experience or my experience of nature. You know, what you had in that book was, was a questioning of lots of things, but through perspectives. Um, you know, it, it was a book, Common Ground was a book that emerged from the histories, the injustices and the complicated layers of past. And as you say, it combined these with the present lived experience that I had at the time in that patch of ground, while also pointing to the dream of a kind of livable future, which was my son being born. Um, but I really, because, because it was a book that, that took risks and, and you know, I, I kind of did everything I could in that book in a way. Um, and so I've struggled in the years to, since to, to really sit down and write about nature in inverted commas. Um, and certainly in the way that the, the, the nature writing market wants books to be written. Um, but what's interesting is this isn't something that's gone out of me. I just couldn't find the form to do it anymore. And when the pandemic started, I was writing, I began to write these poems uh, because it was the only thing I could do. Uh, I really, you know, it's a funny thing to say, but it's true. I, it was the only thing I could do. Uh, you know, I was, I was getting through these strange days. I mean, you take a poem like Moon Over Skipton Road, which is written about my son and standing in the attic room of our house and looking out at the skylight at the moon over Skipton Road. And at that point, at that moment, the talk from the government was that there would be half a million dead by the summer. And we forget about these things now because we've lived through them and we've come out the other side. But there was a moment when I thought, if I die in this, which is a possibility, according to these figures, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to, how am I going to come to terms with my life and the life I've lived up to this point? How am I going to, what's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my wife and my child, my children, you know? And I, I, all these feelings that, that were there. And again, you know, this sort of nature is something that was sublime, but also terrifying and brutal. All these things had to come out. And poetry, writing these poems was really the only way that I could get to it. And you're right, you're right. Because the heeding was a far more introspective experience than I imagined it would be. But these were the outpourings of a constrained, restless mind that was worried. Um, you know, what they, what they end up documenting, because they go from spring to spring, they go from the start of, of the pandemic to coming out of it this March. They, they sort of chart this riot within you know, they are shorter, sharper, rawer than long form prose. But it was a vision that, that came after writing about 20 of these poems. I had this idea of, that they would be a, a witness statement and they would be a mirror that holds up to, to this time. And part of that deal was that I had to allow emotion and honesty to be right at the forefront and not not, dis, not hide anything, not, not try and work it to make it an image of me that wasn't me, you know, um, it had to be real and it had to be honest and true. Um, and really, you know, I, what I've tried to capture is, I think the feedback from everybody so far has been, you know, I wasn't ready to think about this time. I wasn't ready to, 
process it or even begin to consider it. But since I've read this book, I feel like it's 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 kind of it's let people process. It's let it's been cathartic for people because in a way it is that strange you know, meditation on and memorial to a time when everybody was suspended, was caught between worlds. And that's really, you know, Peter, this book is a book, I thought this the other day, it's a book about paying attention, but it's a book about thresholds. You know, all these poems are about thresholds, caught between past and present, between ghosts and hopes for the future, and caught at that moment between life and death, really. Robert, I mean, you mentioned... Uh moon over skipton road could you could you read that poem for us okay this is moon over skipton road it's not rising he said voice like a glass blown note fingers finding mine and gripping we're turning and tipping to meet it so young and confident so capable of thought so entranced and fascinated by that book we bought you were right of course we were tipping to meet that expectant face as it crested terraces with its ghostly light and silvered a sea of dirty slates. Then it hung in stillness, blackness, right there for a moment alone, as though arranged entirely for us, a perfect disk of polished bone. And before the clouds hurried to hide it, like a secret, it was just us three, the moon, you, and me. And in that second I remember thinking, should these measures prove useless and I be torn from you, if it turns out my life held no other purpose but to hold your hand for this second or two, it was still worth living for, my love. You were still worth living for. I found that poem particularly very moving, Rob. Um, I mean, I, I, I'd love to talk about the word heeding because um, it's, it's, you talk as well in the, in the preface where, where you mention your grand, grandfather and his collection of objects. Um, the whole idea of flux and, and instability and how, and how we're living through that now and how, um, how stillness and paying attention seems, seems to be something we have been doing as a, as a culture much more stopping and noticing things that we wouldn't normally uh, notice so if you if you would talk a little about that, that that choice of word for the title yeah well I, I think you're right I, I spoke about my grandfather because when I was small he had this collection of things shelves of things that he used to keep in the front room of his house semi-detached in Skipton and when we used to go around there as a kid it he would talk me and my brother through different things that were on this on these shelves. So it had things like, you know, bird skulls and uh, rocks with crystals inside them, owl pellets, you know, Roman coins, Civil War cannonball he'd found on the hill behind Skipton Castle, and you know he'd he'd we always saw them as as a sort of you know a strange collection of things that he had this miscellanea. But um, it was only later that we discovered that, you know, he'd been through this traumatic experience in the war um, that had changed him um, and he came back changed. And he was a great, he was a really funny man. I, didn't, I don't want to paint him as a sad character, but he was a funny, 
he liked being silly, but he also had this intense anxiety and nervousness, which was had come from the war years, um, which affected him. And the only time that he really, my mother would tell me, the only time that he really escaped it was when he and her used to go for walks when she was little, and he they would they would find things and name things and everything else. And she taught him. Sorry, he taught her how to to pay attention to things and the and the and the benefit of of, of paying attention and heeding the things that are around us. Um, and she passed it on to me. Um, and heeding really is the the word of these days because I think we live in times where everything is geared towards us not paying attention. In a way, you know, it's. There's such a massive media and such a massive competing attention, you know, channels, if you like, that we don't actually pay attention to anything properly, and that's how I think we've ended up in this mess. And I think, um, I think Kathleen Jamie, the poet, said it as best when she said, you know, that that the act of of looking and paying attention can actually be an act of resistance in these times. Because it's what we do with things that we care about. We notice the smallest changes, and heed is an interesting word to me because it has these these various meanings. You know, it means to take to to mind and to regard and take notice of, to attend to, to observe. It means to pay attention and and care for something, but it also means to guard and protect. And I think that's really what we need to do.、Um, You know this. This book is really a, a call to to look at what's happened in this year, and to really use it as a way of、um, changing, coming out. As I said at the end of the book, I think you know we we're all going to come out bloodied and wounded by this last year, and I don't think any of us realise how much quite yet because we're still in the end of it. But what's important is that we don't come out unchanged. That we do come out. With a fresh way of thinking about ourselves, because we've seen close up what's important, which is looking after the spaces around us, looking after each other,、um, and hopefully this book is really a call to to do that, to pay heed to the things that matter, because they won't be around for here forever. One minute they're here, and one minute they're gone, and that's that's why we need to pay attention and 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 to heed them. Um, Rob, you, you, you've chosen a piece of music which actually sounds as if it might <laughs> flow directly from what you've been saying, which is、uh, a George Harrison track. We're going to hear some of that, and maybe you could talk about it. Why you chose it? Yeah, well, "Be Here Now" is a is a tie is a song that was、um, co-opted by Oasis. So if you ever hear the words "Be Here Now," it's usually regarding a very the weakest of all Oasis albums, but.、Um, Actually, they stole it off a George Harrison song. It was off an album called "Living in the Material World,"、mm-hmm. and it's really a, a a prayer for for being in the present moment. And I think this 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 book itself is really a call for that same situation. A lot of the poems in the heeding are about being in the yard and outside the back of our house, and paying attention to what was around us at that time, and trying to live in the moment. The past was, you know,、um, be here now is what George sings in the song, 
And I think that's what all of us are trying to do, whether we call that mindfulness or anything else. It's really about how do we exist? We, the past and the future exist in the present. And how do we learn to live in the present moment rather than worrying about all this other stuff? Remember,
So that was uh, George Harrison with Be Here Now, chosen by Rob Cowan, who, who we're talking to today about his new book, collection of poems called The Heeding. Um, Rob, yeah, I, I loved what you said about um, the, 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 well, the paying attention. I was, I, I was reading something recently. It was actually a biography of Montaigne, I think, by Sarah Bakewell, which I thoroughly recommend. And he, Montaigne was talking about this idea of paying attention back in the, what, the 17th century. And, and, and the, I love the idea of, of paying the attention coming from the French word to wait, to wait on things. And I, I'd, I'd just like to read a, 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 something you wrote in, your, in, the, in the kind of preface to the book about your grandfather, but about writing as well, and writing being an extent. Well, what you say is writing is a, is a natural extension of observing a constructive outcome of heightened attention, somewhere to put that concentration, imagination, that wondering. Um, and I'd like to, it'd be great to hear a poem which for me sort of illustrates and exemplifies that which is the, the what I'm calling the spider poem I think it's actually called this is how a spider is seen because it's it's so much about I, I love the way that you and you do this in common ground as well but you kind of that you you zoom in on on the spider or something very close but also in you have this other sort of time lens where we suddenly are, we're in the present but we're also 300 million years uh, back at the beginning of the evolution of the spider and we're also with your daughter who's kicking a football but I won't anticipate the poem it'd be great to just hear it <laughs> well this is um yeah this is a, this is the poem this is how a spider is seen I think um the other thing that's interesting about this poem is that it, you know it's somebody somebody noticed this the other day which I was really happy about but the way this poet this this book of poems runs is almost chronological so it so it starts in it starts in March and it ends in March. And this is really the point when life became suspended and we entered this moment of, of suspension being caught between worlds. And as the person, Katie Alto, a writer, uh, noticed, she said, you know, that's perfectly placed for beginning that moment. So anyway, this is um, how a spider is seen. A suspension in space blurs focus neither far nor near, throwing out the eye until the cornea adjusts and the murky mid-distance resolves into form and I spy a garden spider. This is how it's seen, between, always between, uncut new rose stem and clump of meadowsweet, held there in damp air on sticky wires, backside up, poised, in its silk trapeze, such architecture, so fragile, especially this morning, with this ball being volleyed about, and my daughter's clumsy retrieving, and these sparrows overwatching the yard. Yet the spider waits in plain view, uncowering, unbowed, indifferent to chance, the patience of three hundred million years, Tigerish in its livery and penchant for the merciless Godspeed strike. Uncaring of fate and risk, it sits, a barnacle-crusted rock, round, still, until, reading what will be before it is, eight needle legs unfold in a heartbeat to hold on as the wake of the ball washes over. Mm. 
So Rob, yeah, it's in terms of poetry. Have you written? I mean, you know, written poems before. Is it is a form that's that's familiar to you, or and were you anticipating writing poems, or did that just simply hatch as a poem? The whole idea uh, sort of all that hatch as a series of poems. Yeah, well, I've I said this recently, but I always wrote songs. I've written songs since I was ten, mm. and. You know, I used to play in a band when I was very early on. We used to write songs and um, I always wrote the lyrics to our songs and I always have written ever since um, lyrics to songs. And so for me, writing prose actually came later than writing verse and lyric. And, um, you know, I, I, a lot of people said when Common Ground came out, oh, it's, it's, it's musical, and it's poetic. And I think that's because I spent so long writing in that way. Um, so for me, it's less, it's more of a return. But as I said, it was more that I, the form chose me more than I chose a form. I just couldn't write anything but what was, honestly, it feels disingenuous to say it, but I really just sat down and these things came out. And each time they came out, it, it felt like I could go downstairs again and, and face something, you know? It was like that. But I, I, I was aware that, that I wasn't afraid of it. And I wasn't, um, I didn't think, I didn't overthink it. I know that a lot of writers and writers who are friends of mine who write very famous kind of prose, nonfiction, nature writing books are very scared about writing poetry because poetry has its own scene and its own um, enclave and you know it has it has practitioners who've who've really sweated blood to get to where they are in the poetry scene and you know that scares a lot of people but it doesn't scare me because I you know I don't really mind I think this you know, poetry doesn't, the, the, the act of creating it doesn't frighten me and the act of putting it out there doesn't frighten me because I want poetry to sing. You know, I want poetry that speaks to people. I don't just want it to be a, an exercise in, in, in high art. So I think it does belong in people's mouths, poetry. And if you can make poetry that people can recite and that moves them, then, then that's good. But honestly, it was more, um, more a return for me it's like these are like songs and, and Robert McFarlane said to me when he read them they're all like songs to me I, I feel like they could be sung and there's probably something in that you know um, but I think there's a very close relationship between writing and music anyway the, 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 the sense of rhythm and music and everything else in fact when I was writing Common Ground I probably said this to you before but I thought of it like an album I didn't want it to be so much a book as an album and that each chapter was like a song that and a track that would uh, intermingle with the others to be, to create a kind of epic epic concept album if you like about a patch of ground through time but i d it, it made it easier to write the book thinking of it in that way um so yeah it was it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a frightening thing to do and it was it was something that chose me i just sat down and put the antenna up and just let it come through me and, and try and channel what was what I felt and what I felt was being felt in, in, at, at these different times through this unprecedented year. Yes, and I think it does have that sense of um, unselfconsciousness, really. I, I, I really like that in that the, the poems aren't trying to be a certain kind of poem. They feel very much an utterance 
of 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 the time and of uh, of you and I th- uh, that uh, and I think that's uh, that's something that is absolutely evident when you and 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 they they do sing. I'm interested to know about your music. Do you, are you also, are you still writing songs? And what happens to these songs, Rob? <laughs> no, I like you know I I did for for years and years and years and years and but you know when I first moved to London in 2002 um, I was I was sort of living a dual life where I was working as a journalist trying to make a living from words and but also playing every night really every night um, in in acoustic clubs and folk clubs and all around those areas in 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 London those little gigs that used to that started springing up um so i played all the time but then you know i just i felt with music there was always too much mediation between me and the finished thing and um it might have been different if i was doing it now but but writing really allowed me to take those risks and do things that are different and not um not have that mediation and that sort of process that that, that I didn't have any control of in the end. So, um, yeah, no, you know, I still, I still twang the old guitar every now and then, but I don't really do it for anything other than to, to entertain the kids, you know. Um, right. Writing, I, I, what I found was when I began writing seriously, if you like, in inverted commas, I didn't have anything left in the tank to write music with, so it was like it had to go somewhere, and writing filled the gap. I'd like to talk uh, or ask you a little bit about the illustrations and how they came about. I mean, Nick Hayes, uh, they're, 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 they're great. I mean, they, they are so much part of the book. Um, yeah, tell us, tell us how that was. Was that something that was that, that, that kind of accrued itself or did you, um, did you have that idea or an idea of the book being illustrated right from the start? Um, well... Not really, because there wasn't an idea for a book at the start. I just wanted to keep a record of the of the times and have something to give to my kids, you know, that said this is what it was like. Um, but then it got to the point where I had about 20 poems and I realised that this was taking its own form and I wasn't really doing anything but just, you know, doing its administration for it. It wasn't, you know what I mean? The heating was already there. It was just that I had to put the secretarial time into to transcribing it. Um, but then very early on, uh, I was talking to Nick because Nick and I still haven't met in person. Hmm. Um, so this whole of this book was written and created and conceived really just via Zoom, which feels like a, a fitting kind of pandemic thing. But Nick and I share a lot of our, of 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 beliefs and you know his his book of trespass was about enclosure is about enclosure and and common ground obviously um has a huge section on the enclosure acts and you know he and i both have have serious worries about the denuding of nature in people's lives and the restriction of access and freedom to to interact with land and landscape generally which only seems to be getting worse Mm. um so he and i were talking really about these things and we were talking and i said look i'm going to read you a couple of poems and he was like yeah sounds great and so i read him a couple of poems and he was sort of 
uh, knocked out by them and he said, can you send me them? I want to read them to my partner. And he did. And he sort of got back to me and said, you know, these are, he, it was he that came out with that half rhyme, the healing in the heeding, you know, this sense that this was actually something that he could, it was a way of him expressing emotions and feeling these things without having to do it, you know, do the work himself is what he said. Um, but he felt enormously better when he read them out. And so anyway, he, he, he said, look, I'm really not in a good place to, to do anything, but I'd love to illustrate these. You know, he was busy and he definitely didn't want to, just after finishing the Book of Trespass, get stuck into another book. But he said, I've got to do it, you know, I've got to do it because there is a, and we came up with this idea together that there would be a visual narrative that ran through the whole of the book um, and it sort of echoed these um, heartbeat moments of emotion, if you like, throughout. So it, very early on, he said to me, there's a poem in the book called Dennis, which is about a man who used to, I used to know in, a ta in our town when I was growing up. And all of us used to kind of take the piss out of him because of the way he was until somebody stopped me one day when I was about 11 and just told me why he was like he was. But it's a poem about, you know, this, this, this tragic kind of moment of him losing everything at one point in his life and never recovering mentally from it. And Nick had this idea of leaving this gap and then putting this, this crashed car on a couple of pages after, just as a sort of heartbeat, emotional punch, if you like. And I just thought that was such a great idea that it from that developed this idea of creating an illustrated book of poetry that that worked as a, as a single piece of work but that had this this visual narrative along with the words and so that's why it opens with this huge hawk appearing which is a metaphor for the virus and it ends with the hawk letting go um but that, but you're right you know they are spectacular illustrations and um I think what they do is they, they help people approach the book because I think what I've found is that everybody who's read it said, you know, I'm really glad because I was, I was sort of suspicious of poetry generally. Um, but, but actually they've helped people to, to, to get into this book in a way um, and have created this whole, this whole journey of... And, you know, the other thing was very simply, Nick always said was, look, you know, one of the big things that came out of the pandemic was that people started drawing and painting again. Again, it's part of heeding, you know. Um, people started looking differently at the world and we wanted to represent that in some small way as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the illustrations are, are, are really striking and, uh, as I say, kind of integral to the, to the book. I'd, I'd, it'd be great if you could read another poem, Rob, and I'd, up, up to you, which one you read, leave it to you. Why don't I read the river? Um, there's, the thing is that, um, you know, this book is about this, 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 this sort of wrestling with nature, the concept of nature in the natural world, but it's also about heeding ourselves. I think the big thing that happened in lockdown was everybody looked in, and this book is a, res is a real result of that. Um, but as I said, it's sort of, you know, it's a book about coming to terms with with who we are and where, where we've come from and what, what's happened in our lives. And I think that's an important element of, of, this, of this process, if you like, of, of, of the last year is that 
a lot of people have had to sort of really think about what's important in their lives and, where, and what's happened in their lives and come to terms with it. Um, so anyway, this is a poem called The River. You are outside the swimming pool in someone's thick blue jumper, way too big, hem halfway down your jeans. The way you used to wear mine, as I remember, hands bunched for warmth in the sleeves, your hair swept back into a ponytail, that cotton-thin scar on your chin, and your trembling eyes shocked at the sight of shock in mine, at seeing you here, you who's come to me so many times in sleep, pulled into present, real, hurrying up steps in the town where we met, while behind two kids doze in the back seat of your car, the heater on, the engine running, the door open. How tall were you then? How did we fit when I put my arms around you? I forget. How lost were we? How in love? For me, entirely, or all I believed love to be then in my naivety. How out of depth I was trying to coax out those raw, unhealed emotions and tend to wounds I had no understanding of, while you already knew all the light and shade of the universe, its poetry, before life proper had even begun for me, before memory laid down layers of living so thick that some days I can't see you at all, beyond jumper, scar, and those hidden worlds behind your eyes. A full-bloom flower meadow just before the cut. That was us. All the sweetness, heat, briefness, colours, the heady hum of high summer already racing towards its end. A half-glance and you go in, leaving the car and the kids where you can see them through the glass entrance of the reception where you've hastened with a question or to inquire about something forgotten. I'm due to move on too, to make a call and walk back to town across the same river where we once sat together, whispering song lines into each other. But I stay a father myself. I can't resist the urge to watch over your children, an arm around them from a distance until you return, which is sooner than I'd wish. Hurrying past me, arms crossed, you pause, mid-step, stop, and make to turn like you're thinking of saying something, but can't find the words, which is the same for me. There's too little time to open a dialogue with history. So we stand together, touching distance apart, looking down to where the river still runs and the ragged skyline cuts an ordinary day. Closing the door, pulling away, your eyes find mine in the mirror. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Um, and it's well, well it, there's a sadness uh, I felt when you talked about people being suspicious of poetry, and I think that's so true. A lot of the way poetry is taught in schools is it seems to put so many people off. But I think these 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 poems are uh, will will uh, well for anybody who's suspicious of of poetry, I think they are. Uh, you know, a wonderful persuader. I mean, we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of, of of our conversation, and it's it it's been totally fascinating. I really would recommend people to to buy the heating and read it, and we'll find it in a minute when it's out. But um, I just wanted to ask you, um, 
I mean, I think I can quite understand when you talk about common ground being a hard one to to follow, um, and I can imagine the kind of pressure you must have been under to 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 write another one uh, soon, and perhaps something in the along the same lines. But I mean, you've you've had a book in you for the last few years because we talked about it when Mike Winter was interviewing you uh, a couple of years ago for lovely writing. Mike Winter, <laughs> lovely Mike Winter, who uh, who I'm sure will listen to this, um, and he. Uh, yeah, you were talking about a, 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 the road. Tell us a little about that, if you want to. <laughs> sure. Well, road road is really a is really a book about again about those three questions that I always seem to ask in books. You know, where have we come from? How do we get here? Where are we going? Um, but that instead of looking at a patch of ground like common ground does, or the heating, an even smaller corner, if you like. Um, Road asks it by 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 looking widescreen. It looks at the country as a whole, as Britain, and um, it follows. Road is about following the Great North Road, the old road from London to Edinburgh, and I began this kind of process of recording this kind of epic road movie, if you like, um, just around the Brexit vote, as a way of of walking through the country and trying to trying to come to terms with all, all the different kind of narratives that were being spoken at that time. Um, but also it's a book again about, you know, how do you end up where you are? How do you end up, what are the roads you've taken that end you where you find yourself? And so really it's a book about, um, about interrogating and exploring those two things. Um, and what I found, of course, which is remarkable, is that all the way along, I, I I keep unearthing these connections to this to this old road, that which has been so instrumental in in the development of history. You know, I mean, the Great North Road has been a, a facilitator and a fulcrum in the stories of these of this shore of these shores of Britain for the last two thousand years and counting. And as a result, it has been uh, you know a shaper of the world by extension um and i kept also turning up these remarkable hidden stories of my own family's connection to the great north road which were hinted at and spoken about but not fully explained or explored to me at all um and so yeah it's really it's really a book that that weaves together these different threads and asks that question you know who are we where do we come from and where are we going and it, it's a book about how we need to, you know, deconstruct the imagined reality of the present, which leads to things like populism and and, and imagined realities that, that that don't really exist, and interrogate the true histories of this country and what made this country and these people who live in it. Um, and it's been a real, it's a work of a lifetime, but it's but it's been a real thrill just being on the road and encountering these moments and incidents and points that that turn up but yeah i mean what happened was it's funny you mentioned the road because i'd got up to doncaster to the colliery at bentley where my great-grandfather was a miner and we didn't actually know this but i found out subsequently that the colliery was on you would have seen it from the great north road it would have been the most dominant thing in the landscape the winding towers mm. um so it was right by the Great North Road, but not only that, 
He also dug the pit there. We didn't know this, but as a 16-year-old, he was part of the crew that dug the seam to, to, to which, which led to Bentley Colliery. Um, so there's all these kind of different weird things that happen, but I just got up there, and it's now a nature reserve. It got closed down in the 90s, and they re-greened it, and it's now a nature reserve, but with the hill and the winding tower mechanism at the top as a sort of monument overlooking Doncaster, the northern edge of Doncaster. And I, the last thing I did before lockdown was to be there walking up that hill and looking back. And then as I drove home that night, they, they announced that we were going into lockdown and I was going to be off-road for a while. <laughs> so um, the heating kind of came out of the gap, if you like, of, um, of that book. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great project. It's a great thing. I can't wait to be back on it because it's one of those things where when I'm writing it, it you can feel, I can feel this kind of excitement about it because it feels new and different and it will be new and different in form. It will be taking that, that genre, if it is a genre, somewhere else. And like I said, I couldn't imagine writing a inverted commas nature writing book now because of the expectations weighed on it and and the need to conform to certain things whereas this book doesn't have that because it's removing itself from nature if you like it's about a road it's about the anti-nature if you like the the realm of you know that that what people think of as the the most you know unhuman landscape yet totally human um it's a weird place, the road, and it, it is where kind of, it's, it, I think the Great North Road in my mind is like a repository of memory. It's like a timeline running through this country and we just, we travel on it all the time on the A1, but nobody ever thinks about it. Mm -hmm. And there's something fascinating in that for me. So when, first of all, when will uh, the heating be out or is it out already? I, I can't remember, I thought it was June. No, it comes out in June. June the 17th is when it's out. Um, yep. Yep. And there'll be lots of trumpets and fanfares. <laughs> well, I hope this is a kind of trumpet. It might be a, you know, sort of a, yeah, a, a bugle. A muted bugle. A, a muted bugle. <laughs> <laughs> the muted bugle East Leeds their phone, but anyway. The muted bugles could be a great band, Peter. You and Mike could, you could be in it. Um, well, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really thrilled about it coming out. And it, it's... It's great because it's buying me some time, you know, to get to get back on the road. Um, When's the road out? Um, don't know, don't know. Um, okay. Every time I put a deadline in there, we get some sort of global pandemic to to upset the apple cart. But um, but you know, um, no, it's 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 it needs time. It needs time to be. You know, I have I have a thinking that books, the books that that take your time are, are, are worth the time. You know. But for, before we go, two things I'm going to ask you in a minute to introduce the last track you chose. But also, I'd love to hear just one more poem, um, if you wouldn't mind. And this is again up to you, which one? Motorway Hawk. There you are again, a fly on the windscreen, becoming a hawk, hovering over hedge, fluttering trembling, always at the edge of vision. Grey, headlocked, a mottled dot tacked to the uneven, dirty linen wall of sky, ahead of a pair of frantic, flickering wings, like a butterfly, alive yet already pinned. 
I saw you first from a back seat, killing time on a long drive. You held me as you hold me still, simply going about your business. That fierce, fixed, dispassionate gaze, map reader from a chick, pathfinder tracing threads of fluorescence through the rough grass and the skin of tires, crisp packets and signs, unmoved by traffic, by the updraft and the howl of passing trucks. Now it's my little two in the back seat, asking if you're somehow stuck. But as we pass and they shift their sight back and up, your calculations are complete. You drop dead weight into the softer state, and the earth receives your energy, repaying your mastery of movement by placing a vole exactly where you expect it to be. Thanks so much, Rob, for talking to us. That's, uh, you know, another wonderful poem from, from The Heeding, which is out on June the 17th. And, um, you know, it'd be great to hear you reading more of these sometime. I don't know how we do that, but let's... Uh, well, uh, I'm doing some events when uh, the book comes out. I'm talking at the... Um, I'm talking in the Imagine Things bookshop in Harrogate. Mm-hmm. Talking at the Little Ripon bookshop. I'm talking um, at various places, the Halifax bookshop, um, the bookshop on the square in Otley. There's all, all I'm all over the place. So, um, you know, um, there's lots of chances to hear them. But um, yeah. yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to see people again. It'd be very nice. <laughs> we will. We will. And uh, hopefully, we'll meet again in person sometime. I mean. Your last piece of music. Talk about that, if you would. Every age, yeah. This is a lovely song for me. Um, it's it's really it, it kind of harks back to that 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 introduction uh, for the heating, which is about my grandfather going through what he went through in the war and then living with the trauma. And this this poem is about every age having its turn and learning to grow and find its way and make the best of this short-lived stay. Again, it's about paying attention and, you know, building a world where we can all belong. Um, so it really, it's, uh, you know, and, and, and it's a call for all writers too. I like this, I like the last verse in this song because if you write, it doesn't matter if you write to get published or you write to do whatever, but there's a line where it says, take this mind, take this pen, take this dream of a better land. You know, I love this idea of, proactivity <laughs> as you said the heeding leads to the creation i think thanks so much rob for talking to us all the best take care every age has its turn every branch of the tree has to learn learn to grow find its way Some things change, some remain, 
Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words from East Leeds FM. (laughs) 